mean, if if anyone else shows up, I'll I'll uh, let them in, and like I said, they can get the recording. I think I think we'll just go ahead and get started, uh, Stephen. Um, I think we had a couple of questions. I know uh, Manan, and I'm first off, if I butcher your name, uh, forgive me, and and let me and just let me know how it's pronounced correctly. Um, that way, I pronounce it correctly in the future. Uh, but I know Manan had a question since he's got some experience. I looked through your profile; you got experience in. Uh, around like engineering, project management, product management, all sorts of areas. And it looks like one of the challenges you're having trying to get a quote unquote cybersecurity role is that people are either saying you got way too much experience, we can't afford you, or well, you don't have the right experience. We don't, you know, we don't want you on the team type of thing. And so I'll first I'll let Steven kind of comment with any of his thoughts on that. And I kind of had an idea and I'm sure I, we may have the same idea, but I figure I'll let you kind of chime in. Um, and Manan, I know you're on the call um, i'm gonna unmute you that zoom's been a little wonky lately um so i'm gonna mute you just in case you want to comment as we're sort of answering that question um, and as i say that it keeps there we go okay <laughs> it's like it will not let me unmute you um so so feel free to chime in if you have questions as, as steven's kind of sharing his feedback um as i'm sharing mine or any other questions um that uh, that kind of come to mind um for you guys again there's there's just a few of us on this call so we'll just kind of Keep it pretty casual. Sure. If more people join, I may mute them, but I'm going to try to unmute everybody real quick. Um, but yeah, feel free. I'll let you guys kind of take over the conversation. You got it. Hey, Manan, it's it's nice to meet you. This is Stephen speaking. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Ken. Uh, thanks for doing this call. No, my my my, my pleasure. Uh, most external recruiters are looked at as being somewhere between a used car salesman and maybe a strip mall lawyer. So it's nice to actually be able to connect with people in a in an informal setting. So I'm delighted to to talk to you and walk you through kind of the insight. And your your question is is pretty common, um, but there's a lot to unpack with it. So I'm going to take it from up from a high level, and then we can get more more granular as necessary. Okay. So the term cybersecurity is such a nebulous concept when people say i want to work in cybersecurity it's like saying i want to work in music or i want to work in you know in any industry that you choose what you need to to do is to understand um where your strengths lie and apply those strengths to industry verticals now what do i mean by an industry vertical an industry vertical is looking back in your past and figuring out what unique things you've done within particular companies so let's take oil and gas for argument's sake yeah. have you worked on specific uh, infrastructure or project management when it comes to oil and gas now oil and gas companies obviously are always looking for um cyber security professionals to come and uh, come on part of their team so when people say you, you bring too much to the table, what they're really saying is they can't see, based on what you've presented, how you fit into their makeup, their vision of what the company is, is trying to do. So that would be kind of at the top tier level. Um, beyond that, and this is where we're getting to cybersecurity as, as a kind of wider sort of concept, um, you have to focus on what it is you are trying to do. Um, I'm going to give you some advice that I was given by a very senior cybersecurity professional. She's asked me not to pass her name on, but the, she's absolutely a, a, a fantastic. And the, the advice rings true from entry level right the way up to CISO. You have to embrace every single step. You have to fully throw yourself into each new part of cybersecurity that you find yourself. And most importantly, pick up the credentials that relate to the industry vertical. Not just about everybody having the OSCP or you know, whatever you choose to do. You need to make sure that you are highlighting your return on investment for the jobs that you are applying for. Now, that leads me on to a slightly different conversation, which I think we'll touch on at the moment. But in short, you need to be able to focus what it is you are presenting to show that you bring a lot of value add to the table. Okay. Okay. Does that help you or does it just create more questions for you? Uh, for, for now, uh, I mean, like uh, I, what I had in mind is uh, uh, I would like to, I mean, I'm interested to go more into digital forensics and uh, incident response. Uh, from what I what I've read about the different verticals and uh, I've seen some online courses and what I understood about uh, uh, the different verticals. So digital forensics and incident response is one of the vertical which uh, takes my interest. 
but I don't have any experience to show in that and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my research. I mean, uh, so the security plus was one of the certification which, uh, which uh, uh, someone here in Singapore uh, suggested to me that, that that's an entry level uh, certification which you will need to, uh, to at least get attention from recruiters and other people. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's why I'm doing security plus. But after that, uh, uh, I, ha I had few uh, certifications related to f digital forensics in my mm -hmm. mind, uh, okay. which I was okay. thinking to do. Yeah. So this brings a conversation over to to the value of credentials, and I will tell you this right now: absolutely paramount you have the appropriate credentials, because when you may have uh, within reason, you may have the best background for an opportunity. But when they put someone up against you, they're looking for reasons to separate you. What makes one person, you know, quote unquote, better than the next? Um, and credentials tend to be a way of kind of leaning back on that. They're looking for a way of kind of separating people. But, um, you know, and Ken, please feel free to chime in on any of this. Um, the number one kickback I get from hiring managers is, Steve, you sent me some great people. They've got great credentials, but when I actually bore down into their knowledge, they don't understand how to apply what it is that they've learned. And so I think one of the major takeaways for you, Manan, is understanding that you have to proactively pursue what it is you want to do outside of your day-to-day -day work. You need to have the home uh, networks, hack the box, try hack me, anything you can possibly do to show that you're putting your money where your mouth is. And that also includes showing that you have interest in the company doing your research like the very first question i ask anybody i interview is hey my name is stephen i work for a company called oscar let's start the conversation by you telling me what you know about my company every single person says nothing and all that really indicates to me is that they haven't really taken the time and effort to look into my background and who my what my company does now there's nothing wrong with that in an interview setting with me because that's where we learn that's where we develop these skills but you need to make sure that you are doing that anything you're putting yourself for sorry putting yourself out for um from an interview and, and job perspective okay okay sure all right so, now, so steven i'll just chime in real quick I, I agree with all of that i think the i think what really can separate a candidate from everyone else is that research you've done on the company that really shows someone like okay they really want to be here versus well this is just another kind of job they're applying for um, i just wanted to comment real quick on your background Manon. it looks like you've got a good number of years in kind of the engineering slash managing engineering team space. And one idea that I had based off your background. So I think, I think your focus right now is, Oh my goodness, I'm entry level. I have to go for entry level. And I actually don't see that. What I see is that you have a strong background in engineering with manufacturing facilities. It seemed like at least when I looked at your profile. Yeah. And so for me, I immediately think of, well, all you have to do is going to those types of facilities in more of an OT security or ICS SCADA type of security role. And so you really just need to figure out from that standpoint, because you understand the engineering and that's how, that's literally 95% of the battle in critical infrastructure space is you can't take somebody working on the IT side and throw them in doing security there because they want to start running NMAP on a critical system and that, you know, you, you can't, you have to do certain things. Um, you have to be very, very, you have to have a lot of finesse. And so I think based off your background, if I were to choose a path and I was in your shoes, I would focus on those types of organizations and tying in what you want to do in incident response, just focus. So for example, I know you're going for security plus. I, I honestly, if I was in your shoes, wouldn't go for that. Um, if you've been studying for, for a while, whatever, just you know, do it, knock it out. But for me, I would be more interested in actually showing that I have not necessarily a certification. So this kind of contradicts what Steven's saying, but I'm focusing okay. more on that particular vertical of security. If you're going for more of the, the generalized security and, and, and that type of thing and not critical infrastructure, then yes, right? Get the certs that are relevant to that. But in that particular space, I found that until you get some years of experience, you shouldn't be necessarily getting certs. It, it's kind of a backwards thing there. And I know a lot of guys and gals working in that space, but my thought process is focusing on those types of organizations and saying, Hey, I'm an engineer. Here's my background. Here's my resume. And by the way, I'm learning 
I've learned these forensic tools, right? I've learned how to reverse mm -hmm. malware and really analyze it. And here's some videos of me doing that. I'm really looking okay. to get more into a security type of role. And so that's just my perspective on it. Again, it's just one perspective on it, but just looking at your background, I think you'd be a good asset in that type of area versus, you know, let's just say trying to go work, you know, entry level at rapid seven or Google or something, right? Like I, I think that's kind of your bread and butter niche that you've been in a while. And I would just figure out how can you tie what you want to do in security into that and pivot okay. and position yourself as, as that versus let me start brand new entry level somewhere else. I think you're in my, in my mind, again, it's just my, my perspective or opinion. I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you ignore everything you've accomplished so far in your career and just focus on, Hey, I'm an entry level guy. I'm looking for entry level roles. I think you, you really need to just uh, kind of going back to what Steven was saying, focus on your strengths, right? And you've got a lot of strengths already based off what you've done in engineering. And I would just take those and then figure out, okay, how can I sort of sprinkle, uh, you know, the, the icing on this cake that I've already built, right? I've already made this cake. How can I put the icing on it to then make it really appetizing for that company or those types of companies? So that's my perspective on it. I just want to chime that in before I forget. Um, and I'll let you, I know, Stephen, you were about to say something as well. So I didn't interrupt <laughs> you there. Okay. Uh, well, honestly, Ken, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head. You know, bring, it all, bring it all together. Um, I think if anything, it just highlights that there is no one linear path. There is no straight ahead way in uh, getting into or you know navigating uh, a career through cybersecurity. So I think you know those things combined, very very true. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Stephen. My pleasure. So, uh, Perv, I see you have your hand raised. For some reason, it's not letting me unmute you. If you don't mind, just trying on your end to see if we can. Um... Uh, get you unmuted. If not, if you don't mind, just typing your question in the chat, and we'll we'll address it for you. Hey, yeah. Can you can you hear me? Yes, you're good now. Yes, cool. All right, all right. So, hey, Ken. Yeah. Um, I I had a similar question. I'm I'm not sure if and how to proceed. Um, so I'm more of I at least I view myself as more of an entry level uh, guy, not completely entry level though. I have a, um, a master's in cybersecurity and then a couple of years of experience. Um, what, what I see myself is that I want to go into some, some place that is audit related or compliance related, you know, something that is into GRC. That's what I've been working on primarily. And I just see that almost all the roles that I encounter are, are either offensive security or they they are software engineering positions, but with a security uh, twist to it. Gotcha. And what would be your recommendations? Yeah, sorry, I'm assuming you're looking just in the Indian market. Is that correct? When you're no, I, I, I am. I'm currently looking in the Indian market because of of Corona, um, but uh, because of COVID, yeah. But before this, I was I was working in the American market, so I, I don't really care what market I go in. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, there should be, um, it may just be where the, the, the job boards you're looking at possibly because there are a number of like auditing related roles that don't require you to do like pen testing or anything like that, that, that I've seen out there. Um, it just may be, and I don't know where you're looking for those types of roles at, but I would just specifically query like LinkedIn for those auditing roles. Um, the vast majority of organizations these, these days, and by that I mean COVID days, um, the vast majority are open to remote work. And so I think that, I think this is actually a unique time for anyone trying to get a security role that you don't have to go into that barrier that was traditionally there of, oh, we need somebody local. They have to come in the office and, and all that. I think we're in a unique spot where you can get a lot of those remote roles. So I would just honestly query LinkedIn maybe a little better. I, again, I don't know where, and feel free to share where you're looking for jobs at, but I've seen quite a few uh, roles looking for auditing compliance type of stuff. Um, and none of those require you to be a pen tester. So that, that would be yeah. my perspective. Just, you know, focus on finding it on LinkedIn again, you know, there's, there's other job sites out there, right? Indeed, you know, in some, to, to some extent monster or dice, a lot of those are spam things. So, uh, but LinkedIn is a very powerful tool. So just, to me, I would just query that. I would also 
look up people working in auditing roles right now and just start conversations with them, start building a relationship and then ask them, hey, I'm trying to get into that type of job. Um, I found at least uh, in, in the past, what worked for me is when I built those relationships, I would have companies actually create jobs for me that they had just, uh, in one instance, actually, they just had a conversation like that afternoon um, about a particular position they were going to create. They had just gotten the budget for it. And I happened to have a conversation with one of their team members um, like late in the day and they're like, Oh, he'd be perfect. And the next day I had the job. So I would say start those conversations as well with people working in that role that you want to be in and get some advice from them. And also the more you kind of network like that, the more likely you are to get those types of jobs where like it hasn't even been listed yet, but they know about it. And so you're the first person that they think of when that job comes about. So I, I think just leveraging the power of LinkedIn is kind of where I'm going with that to number one, query for jobs a little better to find those roles. And then number two, query people that are actually in those types of roles right now and asking them for A, advice and B, hey, if you hear of any roles, do you mind sharing them with me so I can apply for them? Any, any thoughts from your end, Stephen? Uh, no, I, I agree 100%. It is all about building out relationships. Um, in terms of the kind of companies that immediately spring to mind from, from, from my perspective, um, have, you, have you tried looking at you know, your, your big auditing firms, your, your KPMGs, your Deloitte's, that, that sort of thing, and maybe some of the smaller auditing firms? They are always looking for people that have uh, the kind of skills and credentials you, you just mentioned. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I did work with PwC for like about a year. And then and then <laughs> so my takeaway from that was that I, I would probably want to work in a place where I can see how the project timeline goes from end to end and not just one small part of a project. Understood. And, understood. Okay. So in that, in that particular context, I obviously they, they call them the big four for a reason there, there are more than four, four auditing agencies out there. What you should probably do is, uh, you know, exactly like Ken has mentioned is network with the individuals who are in those companies and look through their uh, connections on, on LinkedIn. Uh, it's, it's definitely possible to do that and just kind of see who they're connected with uh, at other, maybe smaller, not brand name companies that will enable you to have that level of exposure and, and, and visibility. The other thing I might mention on that, Stephen, um, it kind of, your, your commentary has kind of stirred up an idea. I would also maybe reach out to some of the startup incubators in the U.S. that are working with portfolio companies, even venture capital firms. And the, and the rationale there is maybe instead of you being an employee doing auditing, you could kind of start a side hustle, so to speak, where you audit these startups that don't have money for a full-time person, but you can kind of be uh, eventually that go-to person. For them, I think, I think when you put on your, you know, an application for a larger firm or whatever firm you want to work at, and you say, yeah, I've worked with, you know, these 37 companies in this portfolio of this investment firm, you know, that that kind of speaks volumes. And even in that situation, you may find that a VC firm creates a role for you because they're like, well, he's the go-to guy. He's doing a great job with our clients. They love him. Uh, you know, our, our portfolio companies, they love him to death. Let's go ahead and just create a role for him so he can do this all the time just for us before somebody else steals him away. So that's just another idea to kind of think through. Um, and, I, and I think the fact that you worked at you know, PwSC, that's another kind of notch in your belt where you can say, hey, look, I've worked for a large company doing auditing. They don't, and for the most part, they don't care that you only did one niche area, right? It's the fact that you work for that big company. Like for example, let's say Steven worked for Google for two years. It doesn't matter what he could have been the janitor there, right? The, the name on his resume gets him in a lot of doors, right? To be real with you. So I think that's, um, that's another thing you should uh, kind of look at because I think that might open up some additional doors down the line for you. So there's a lot of kind of a lot of information Steve and I are sharing here, but I think you have a lot of opportunities because a lot of people, there's a lot of people that, that um, I've seen go into auditing that suck at it. So if you're good at it, you could, you can really write your own ticket in my opinion. I understand. Uh, and also this is, uh, this is strictly um, cybersecurity auditing, right? And not, not the financial one. Cause I don't right. think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I meant. Yeah. When I mentioned the startups, I think that they, 
Um, I think even a simple thing here in the U.S. that a vast majority of them don't even know about is compliance with uh, the American Disabilities Act for websites. So I think even adding that is kind of a, a talking point when you reach out to VC firms or startup communities. That could be your pitch, right? You can say, well, what I can do is I can audit your website for those things. And that's just a free tool you scan and then you kind of give advisement on what they should be doing or what their developers should be doing. Uh, you know, that that's just another thing, right? And we're kind of getting a little... Uh, little you know out of scope here but i think that's another thing that you might consider as part of this if that's the, the route you decide to go no 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 that is that is actually good because um i i do i did um have an undergrad in in uh, computer programming uh, engineering that is so um so it's not that i'm i'm aloof to programming uh, so yep it adds it perfect yeah, and, and, and you don't have to be the one making the changes, right? Unless you want to charge them, you know, premium rate. But, but you, know, you, you just advise that. Like, I always, I, if someone's like, hey, can you do that? I'm like, I can do it for a lot of money, so you might find somebody else. But um, uh, I, I would just say, like, here's what I think you should do, and you can give it to your developers. Now, you might get some of them saying, well, hey, can you just fix it, right? Can you go in and fix it? And if that's not your skill set, then that's where you can, you know, do a, a little cut to somebody else or someone you know that's good at, web development. But I think on, on, on your end, where I would see that as more, you're kind of that advisor that comes in and says, hey, did you know about this problem that could really mess up your company with litigation? Oops, I didn't know about that. Tell me more, right? So that's kind of the, the pitch I would do to those startup companies because I see that a lot in the Houston startup community. Like they have no clue. I'll run a quick scan with a free tool like Wave um, and I'll be like, hey, look, your website's totally not compliant. What are you going to do about that? They, they almost have a heart attack. So I think that's a, a, a way, you know, for you to kind of, kind of get in there. If that, if again, you know, just take what we're saying with a grain of salt, right? You do what you want to do, but if that's the route you decide to go, I think just kind of figure out what makes you different. And that's something that can make you different um, from a lot of people. Cause in particular states like New York and California, we saw a huge increase in litigation around ADA in uh, 2019 and it's even more in 2020 and all these these uh, uh, law firms are doing is they're suing a small company just to pressure them into settling like they don't care if it goes to court they just want to pressure them into settling so if you can step in and be that solution for those startups to kind of give them that advisement and prevent some of that litigation costs that would be a huge you know thing so again just something to kind of tuck in in your pocket to, to chew on right 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 Right. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Oh, and then um, just uh, something on the side. I initially thought that I would um, it would make my journey easy by going the the certification route, and and I certainly felt that you know maybe getting um, what Isaka's um, CISA is it um, would be helpful. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, on the credential so itself. Or, uh, or, or me getting it, me getting it um, kind of I, like, all right, so I already have a CISSP. I mean, I don't have it exactly. I have already, I'm an associate as they call it. And so um, I cracked the exam and I'm, now I'm just waiting for that five years of experience to come in. Yeah, so I think you've got a similar thing with CISA. If I recall correctly, you have to have five years. Otherwise, you're just, you know, you're, you're at the associate level with that one. I mean, I... It doesn't hurt, right? It doesn't hurt to say, you know, I'm a CISA associate or whatever. And if your question say, well, I just need the five years experience. I would say depending on your, your audience, they probably won't care, right? So as an example, if we go back to the startup thing, they don't care. If, if you tell them what, you know, what I do is I basically scan, you know, I'll scan your site for compliance with ADA and then I'll talk through what I think you should do. And then you just take that to your web developer and they fix whatever issues. And by the way, the average, you know, you have to do some research, but the average, you know, settlement cost, I think off the top of my head, I know, I know it's for small businesses, a lot of them settle from anywhere to 10 to 50,000. So by the way, this can save you at a minimum like $10,000 just by making sure your website's compliant, right? You know, cause then you don't have to settle, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, that's a sales pitch. We won't get on that on, on this call, but, but that's how, <laughs> yes. you know, so, so, depending on your audience, right? If you're going for a fortune 500 company job, yeah, they, you know, passing the CISA can help you get through that resume screening and Steven can kind of speak to that stuff a little more. But, but as far as if you're going for kind of the idea I mentioned, 
it can help, but it's not a necessary thing, right? Like they don't care. Now, if you have, once you get the five years, that's a different story, right? Then you can add the CISA and it, it has a little more um, weight to it in my mind because it's like, okay, he's got the experience and, you know, he's actually got the credential, not just the associate thing. And, you know, there is some value in getting and just passing the test, but kind of going back to what Stephen was talking about earlier, prove you can actually do it. And one of the ways to do that is to have to do it for someone that, that is not your, um, not like your full-time job, if that makes sense. Like, like you have to do it for a real business that you don't have the management team or the support team. It's like, you have to do it. Right. And that's one right. of the, the things about entrepreneurship is you have to do it. So that that's why entrepreneurs get paid more than an employee, right? Because you have to do it. There's no support system. You, you have to figure it out. So if you can do something like that, where you figure it out, and you can actually deliver that type of value. Then when you go like apply for corporate jobs, you can command more money. Cause you say, well, I'm not taking that little salary because you know, I, I've got my own business with all these startup companies that want to work with me. I'll just do that. I don't need your 50,000 a year salary. I'll go make a million over here. Right. And then they'll be like, no, 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 let me go back and we'll negotiate. You know, I've actually had that happen. <laughs> so you know, it doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does. And so that's just my kind of my mindset. So I, that's a long way of answering your question of should I get CISA? There's no harm right. in that if it's if it's something in your budget where you can afford to get that without taking a loan or anything like that. Sure, go get it, pass it. If you feel comfortable doing so, great. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm just trying to say it's not a 100% requirement that you do that right now um, in your career. Right, right. Um, I see, um, I'm going to uh, jump, chime in real quick. I see uh, Sonny has a question, so I just wanted to make sure we uh, get that addressed real quick. Um, hi, so am I audible? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, perfect. So first of all, thanks, Ken and Stephen, for this session. Um, so my question is, I just like finished my graduate degree in computer engineering, and I do not have any corporate experience, but I am interested in a career in pen testing. So what I've, what I've understood so far is that I need to have an IT job, before I transition to a career in IT security. So is there a possibility that I can transition straight to the role I want instead of, you know, like working first in IT as a help desk or something? Um, so just a little bit about my qualifications. Um, I have my company security plus and I am a member of Try Hack Me platform. I am currently level eight. That is, a, that is a hacker rank. And I'll be participating in my first CDF meeting tomorrow morning. And I'm also attempting. Uh, I'm also thinking of attempting the OSCP examination in February 21. So, um, would you have any feedback from me, or like, you know, any ideas? Yeah. So, the, so the first thing I want to say is there's no one path into security, right? So you'll hear me oftentimes talking about the vast majority of people that reach out like on LinkedIn are like, I want to be a hacker, right? And, and they get mm -hmm. excited because, you know, I mean, that's fun, right? Like, is auditing fun? It's probably fun to, you know, a, a perv, but not to me, right? So, but, but like pen testing is fun. But, you know, you just have to realize there's no, there's no specific path. Now, I think you're doing, you're actually doing some of the things I would mention, right? Partnering with things like Hack the Box, uh, Try Hack mm -hmm. Me, et cetera. The other thing I would do if you're not doing them already is bug bounties. Um, start working on bug bounties programs. And then uh, sort of the last thing I would do, well, not the last thing, there's a couple of things. So number one uh, additional thing I would do is I would actually start filming yourself doing uh, kind of walking through a, a, like a pen test, right? You know, so set up your own servers and everything like that. Um, you can usually do that pretty cheap, like an AWS cloud, maybe cost you, you know, let's just say a hundred bucks US to do, do all that stuff. Probably a lot less than that. It's in fact, if you spin down your instances and everything, it's probably like 15, 20 bucks. But um, set all that stuff up, even if you just use free stuff, a virtual box, but just actually film yourself doing it, right? And explain it. Uh, and that stuff goes a long ways of getting that first role of like, yeah, I can do it. I understand what I'm doing. Not just, okay, I ran some NMAP commands. Here's the results. But mm -hmm. instead, here's why I'm using NMAP, right? Or here's why I would use a different tool. And this is what, what I'm trying to do in this video or this series of videos. When you do it like that, you're going to get, you're going to start and, and post it, right? You don't just film it and then show your mom, like post it you know, on, on LinkedIn, yeah. post it on YouTube and, and kind of make, make it. Um, one thing I always tell people is, and this is across for everybody on the call, um, including myself and Steven, but you're a brand, 
right? Your, your, your brand is not tied to whatever company you work for or whatever university you're at or like you are a brand. And so you can't rely on somebody else and their strategic vision to brand you. You have to brand yourself. And so for you in particular, Sonny, you really need to film yourself doing all these different things. You need to kind of get people passionate about it on your LinkedIn profile. You should be posting, you don't have to post every day, but just posting some cool thing you learned or show, you know, post a video you did on YouTube uh, showing a little different hacking thing or whatever, or you could even record in like loom or something, just upload it directly into uh, LinkedIn, but just continuously build that portfolio showing that you can actually do it. And then the other thing I would do, um, I mentioned there was a couple things. The other thing I would do is I would start reaching out to uh, companies. So I'm not going to ask you what type of pen testing, whether it's network or web. I'm going to assume web based off the fact you're doing things like hack the box and stuff. But actually, um, actually, it's it's more like um, network. Okay, so you you do want to yeah. do network. So one, so you may find that you'll get more opportunities you start off in web app pen testing. The reason okay. I say that is a lot of the smaller companies that do that type of pen testing here in the US, they'll actually, um, and you're in Canada, right? I, th I think. Yes, uh, yes, I'm in Ohio right now. Okay, okay. You know, so, so maybe a similar thing there. And I've got some contacts up in Canada. I don't, I think they're in Toronto area though. Um, but anyways, mm -hmm. um, at least here in the US, a lot of the smaller companies doing the pen testing, they're, they'll have you, they'll be willing to hire you as like a junior pen tester doing uh, the mm -hmm. remote work, doing web app pen testing and stuff in a limited capacity versus a lot of times the network pen testing, um, excluding COVID stuff, but pre COVID, yeah. a lot of them are, are wanting you on site, you know, on premise. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the difference, right? So I think initially mm -hmm. getting that first junior pen test role, it might be a little easier for you to focus mm -hmm. on trying to get web app pen testing roles. And then, you know, you can pivot at that point. Hey, I'm ready for a, a networking one. Not saying you can't get it, but just saying that when you start looking for junior pest, pen testing roles, that might be kind of the, the way you look. So going back to those organizations that do that, I would focus on companies that do that, small companies that are in Canada or in the U.S. that do that, that do web app pen testing as a service. And I would, because a lot of them aren't going to list the job, so I would just reach out to them, show them some of the videos you've done. Like, hey, here's me you know, finding vulnerabilities on this website right here, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and even in the video you can say, and these are common vulnerabilities and here's how to fix them. You know, something just show, show again that you know what you're doing, or at least you mm -hmm. have a, a grasp of like actually what you should be doing. And mm -hmm. you'll probably, you may get a hundred no's, right. But then you might get one yes that gives you that junior pen testing role, gives you a chance and et cetera. So um, I will say, be prepared to say here, no, a million times, um, but uh, yeah, just, just keep, keep going at it. Uh, but that's kind of my recommendation on it, right? With, with pen testing, you have to show, it's not enough to get a master's degree. It's not enough to get some mm -hmm. certifications. Like none of that stuff truly matters in the pen testing world, even OSCP, you don't need that. That's one of those okay. types of roles in security where as long as you can do it and show you can do it, that's all that matters. Or at least show that you, you, know, you, know, you know enough to do like just a, a kind of an average pen test. And then they know that, okay, we can take him and mold him into what we need for our company. <laughs> so that's kind of my advice on you in particular trying to get a role like that or people listening to this recording trying to get that type of role. You really just need to brand yourself as that person that knows pen testing. Um, in, in some capacity and just keep like, like use the power of social media. I, I see a lot of people not using LinkedIn in that capacity. People, you know, there's a security community on Twitter. I personally deleted my Twitter cause I, I just didn't, I was like, I'm not getting value here. I don't feel like I'm adding value. So let me just focus on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a very powerful tool. And the more you brand yourself, you may find that someone like Steven randomly reaches out, right? A recruiter randomly reaches out and says, Hey, we got this role. Do you want it? Right. Yeah. all by branding yourself and you, you never had to apply for it. So kind of what I touched on earlier, where a lot of roles I've had in my life have been created for me randomly. I always branded myself. I was just videos, teaching people, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, these roles came my way. So that's my advice on it is, is really focus on showing and proving that you can do stuff. And an easy way to do that is on LinkedIn via posts or videos or, or whatever, you know, kind of route you want to do to showcase that you actually know what you're doing. Cause I think that is one of the challenges. A lot of people go through like a pen testing course. They run a few scans with Nmap. They maybe 
you know, create yeah. a reverse shell with Metasploit and they're like, I'm a pen tester, right? But yeah, no, yeah. you know, you're not. Like there's a lot more to it. Um, so I think if you can showcase effectively what you know, mm-hmm. that's going to be key. And also your passion, right? Your passion for yeah. learning more. I think those are going to be the key things helping you actually get that type of role. Okay. Anything else to add? Uh, th- for me, that's it. Steven, do you, anything you want to chime in uh, from the cr- recruiter or knowledge standpoint? Uh, no, I think you, you covered all the things that I would definitely mention. Um, you know, the ability to explain what you're doing, recording yourself. I, I cannot tell you how I wish more people did that uh, because they're always looking for evidence. And one of, the, you know, one of the other major complaints you get from hiring managers is they, they, they can't, um, as in they, as in the candidates, uh, they can't stay on brief. They can't you know, explain to the ultimate client what it is they've done and, and how they've done it. So your ability to learn that early on is is, is paramount okay so steve and i understand that you are a recruiter right that is correct okay so um i had a quick question for you so if i do like start filming my sessions how exactly do i add it to my resume you know like how can i show it to you like ah. I mean, maybe if i upload it on my linkedin it's okay but like you know how can i show it to you when i'm applying for a job can i okay, well, simply mention it on my youtube channel or you know like like it's on my linkedin or something else Perfect, perfect. So this, this is a good segue into resumes, um, if we have time, Ken. No, absolutely. Let's keep going, guys. Um, I think in about 20 minutes, I think I have another meeting, but let's keep going. And if we have additional questions, we'll just, um, like maybe Stephen and I will do a session, and we'll do another session or something. Cool. So um, uh, the, the, the short answer, Sonny, is load it wherever you need to, wherever you have the strongest brand, for sure. But uh, you raise a good point about resumes in general. So uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to walk you through all the secret sauce you need to know about what a resume is actually for. And Ken, if you'd be so kind, I need to use you as my guinea pig. Sure, please do. Okay, okay. <laughs> so uh, I promise to, 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 to be nice with you. So what I'm going to do, I'm basically going to kind of cut out the segment on, on resumes from my, my, my typical interview process. And we're going to run through it so you kind of get the sort of full sort of experience. Great. So, uh, okay, Ken, let's, let's imagine you're driving down the highway and uh, you see a billboard. How likely are you to pull over and read it? Unlikely. Unlikely. Can you, uh, can you remember a time that you've ever stopped, pulled over to read a billboard? Uh, only when I had seen one that said, uh, Stephen Clements, super recruiter out of Austin, I, I stopped and said, what is this? Uh, no, I, I, I never saw my that. ad. <laughs> Fantastic. You saw my ad. But that illustrates the point. Okay. Your, your resume is that billboard on the highway. Now, we've already asked this in, 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 in the group. How long do you think I look at a resume? It's only six seconds. Now, people say, you can't possibly get what you need to know from a resume in six seconds. And that's very true. The reality is, is I'm not reading a resume at the first glance to see whether I, uh, you know, all those nuanced details. I'm looking at a resume for the first glance to see, is it worth pulling over to read that billboard? Mm-hmm. And if you can't get past that first six seconds, the rest of it is irrelevant. Okay. So that's, that's what I want to focus on, on, on talking about. Resumes, above all things, need to be transparent as possible, and they need to expertly show your, uh, your ROI, your return on investment, what makes you special. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the way we typically do this, and... Uh, without looking at anybody's resume in this in this conversation, I can guarantee you that 99.9% of them will be functional. It will say, yeah. I worked here and I did this. These are all the awesome things I did. And I worked over there and I did that. And here is some other stuff that I did. That mm-hmm. is perfectly valid. It is 100% okay to have a functional resume. And there are some cases, some industries specifically, that will want you to have an incredibly detailed resume. But for the most part, the people who are asking, well, what do I put on the resume to separate myself? I even saw someone want to know if it was worth putting glitter on their resume one time. And I said, that would, that would be very nice in person, I'm sure, but probably not good for an automated tracking system. <laughs> but the, the, the reality is we've kind of forgotten what a resume curriculum, Vita, whatever you want to use, um, what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be transparent. Okay. And so how do we do that? How do you take you know, a multi-page resume and condense it down to one page? One page is always going to be the gold standard, but make it sing about you and make it be uh, you, know, you come across in the best light possible. Well, we do that by changing it from functional. 
you move away from functional and you make it um, an accomplishments and quantifiable achievements based resume. So what do I mean by that? An accomplishments based resume ties into the psychology of numbers. So when I'm looking at a resume for the very, very first time, I'm not looking at the objective. I'm not looking at the credentials. I'm actually looking at the tenure of the positions you've held because mm -hmm. those are the numbers my eyes are going to gravitate towards. And, you know, I hate to say it, but if you've moved every five minutes, the chances are I'm going to move on pretty quickly. That being said, if obviously if you're a career contractor, that's, that's a different conversation, but you need to make sure that information gets across as quickly as possible. So once I'm done looking at, uh, at the dates of your, of your opera, where, you're, where you've worked, then I start to look at other things. I start to look at the, uh, the, uh, the, the company names. I start to look at the titles you've held. I start to look at the credentials. And you know, over the course of a couple of seconds, that's all the time I need to think, is this person someone that I can help? find a, a, a new opportunity or is this just someone that's slapping things together because at the end of the day my main takeaway is this if a person cannot um, articulate themselves in a resume they're never going to do it in an actual interview okay so any questions before i uh, before we move on um i, sh I actually did have a question um yes. so as you know i i do not have any work experience you know like i have, I have like made some part-time jobs and like some projects with my prof Mm -hmm. but I don't have any, you know, like corporate experience. So how do I like, you know, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So that's exactly what we're moving on to now. It's the formatting. So here's what you, what you want to do. So one of the main takeaways from this, um, you know, it's, um, let, let me put it to you a different way. The three most underused words in business today are, I don't know. <laughs> it is very, very rare that anybody in any situation in a corporate setting is going to turn around and say, I don't know. They'll say, oh, I need to check my numbers. I need to talk to Fred in accounting so I can get that configured for you. But no one dares say, I don't know, because they don't want to obviously go through that explanation. So what you need to do is this. You need to cut um, your, your interviewer a break by making sure that they can save face so they don't have to ask that question, I don't know. You don't want to waste any time explaining anything on your resume. How do we do that? We do that by taking the company name. Uh, we're talking about the, uh, the experience section here specifically so that you, you can understand how this would work in a wider sense. But looking at your whatever position it is you currently hold, you will have the company name first and foremost. Okay. Now, now, first things first, just because the company name is there doesn't mean the person reading it will have any idea who they are. So what you want to do right after the company name, you want one line. And I mean one line that explains the industry and the footprint of that particular company. We mentioned auditing firms earlier. You could have Ernst & Young, Big Four, Global, National, Inter, you know, uh, auditing firm. Directly beneath that, you would have your title. Now, your title doesn't always indicate your level of seniority. It doesn't always indicate um, what it is you do on a functional level. So what you want to do is have your title and then similar to the company explanation, you want a one line explanation of what it is that you do relative to your seniority within that position. So what does that mean for the rest of all those bullet points and all of the, the information we have? You get rid of all of it because the only things that you want to have bulleted out in that particular section are quantifiable achievements. The more numbers you can have in your resume, the better. Now, why is this? The reason for doing this is because the part of the brain that registers, or sorry, makes decisions, is actually the same part of the brain that processes all emotions. And so the reality is someone making a decision is actually only making a decision based on how they feel about the information that's being presented to them. So the more numbers you can put in, the more quantifiable achievements that you can bring to the table, the better. And here's the ultimate takeaway. Because your accomplishments never change over the years, when you present a new resume, you never have to change the resume to relate to the job because your uh, accomplishments are always going to be the same. They're always going to carry maximum gravity. So think about things you might have done very, very early, very early on in your career. They're going to have maximum impact today in the mind of someone reading it. So here's what happens in the in scenario. You go into the interview, you hand them the um, for this accomplishments-based resume, and they go, okay, 
So this individual has worked at this company. Well, I've never heard of that company, but they've explained, so I don't have to ask. And, oh, this title sounds a bit strange. I've never really heard about it in this context. Oh, but they've explained what it is that they do. And then their eyes go down to all these wonderful accomplishments and they go, oh my God, we've had this very problem at our company. Mr. Interviewer, tell me, how did, how did you do it? And then the conversation and interview becomes so easy to have. You gain total control of the interview because all you're doing is talking about yourself and that is the easiest conversation to have in the world. Okay. Okay. Any questions? Any questions? Hmm. I'm just thinking like how exactly I can, you know, like put my experience in this, in this format. So, yeah. Understood. So we, we do, I do have a template, but what you're effectively looking for is making sure you're touching the broad strokes. You yeah. want to be able to put yourself across in the best possible light. So yes, you probably do want an objective at the top. You don't need it more to be a line or two. You maybe then want to touch on some of the key skills as it relates to the specific opportunity that you're applying for. And then beneath that, it is a simple chronological timeline of the things that you have done back to back. If there is a gap, you need to explain it. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I, I did have a quick question though. Um, so I, I have like a home lab setup, you know, so is there is a way I can mention that in my resume? Yeah, it's always good to have um, maybe an additional skills section or other pertinent okay. information doesn't need to go beyond two pages in any sense of the word, but as long as you're showing that um, there is uh, activities that you have completed relevant to what it is you're looking to do, then yeah, you should definitely put it in there. Okay, perfect. So, so coming back to the format section, so you said company name, company name followed by the title in, in the next line and then quantifiable achievements, right? Yes, what I'll do if it's okay with Ken, I, I, I'd have a template that I send to a lot of the candidates I work with uh, I'll, I'll post that in uh, in the LinkedIn chat so everyone can kind of have access to it and kind of play around with it, if that's okay with you, Kim. Totally fine with me. Um, and, and in fact, Stephen, um, if you want to hang on that uh, just till I upload the video, maybe tag it in the comments there as well. You can you can post it separately, but just so we feel free to post it on anything. Let me just say that. Sure. Po post you it everywhere. It. <laughs> in the group. You got it. I'll, I'll, I'll send it out to everybody. But uh, yeah, the, the, the reality is um, what you've got on there is not as important as how transparent it is. Transparency is everything because you need to get that information across as quickly as possible because it takes mere seconds to pass someone by. And uh, me as a professional recruiter, I am looking at you know, anything up to a couple of hundred uh, um, resumes a day. If you're applying for a job directly, in some cases they get thousands of applicants and they can't see the wood for the tree. So you may have the best resume in the world, but they're never gonna look at it and that's typically where I, as a recruiter, come in. Okay. Um, I, I had a quick question, though, like sure. um, regarding coordinators. So when I apply for a job, or, or like when a candidate applies for a job, um, do you guys seriously look at coordinators and, you know, at the first time, or, you know, like once we pass the first screening process, you know, of the six seconds, then you guys look at the coordinators? Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm not catching the word you're saying at the oh, end. Sorry, uh, correlators, like, you know, correlators, like you, like a statement of interest, correlators, you know, like I can probably type it out in the chat. Sure. Um, yeah. It's not honestly something that factors into whether I look at a, a, a resume or not. Okay. Uh, a correlator. Yes. Oh, cover letter. My yeah, deepest apologies. I thought you were saying correlator. My yeah, apologies. Cover letter. <laughs> Uh, statement of intent, uh, another way you can put it. Um, if, a, if the option is there for mm -hmm. you to, to, to give one, I would always, uh, definitely always put one forward. I, as a recruiter, don't need to look at them because I will call you, I will talk to you, and I'll figure out what it is you're looking to do anyway. Okay. Um, if you're applying directly, I would definitely utilize them. That's probably a good place to shine for uh, specifics, anything you want to kind of bring right to the forefront. Um, because if they ask for one and you don't get it, you will mm -hmm. instantly be, be put aside. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sorry about that. My, my, my uh, headset's a little bit off. Oh, no, it's, it's probably an accent problem, to be honest. <laughs> so, I, so I get that problem a lot. People think I'm Australian. Oh, you, you actually do sound like that. <laughs> St Stephen, I could have sworn you were a, a native Texan. Well, I, I like to tell people this is a Brooklyn <laughs> accent, actually. That's my, my, my go-to go. joke. 
Ken, um, I know that we're running out of time, but I have just like a quick question for you. Sure. Um, so as you know, I'm like a beginner in this field, right? And I'm looking for my first job. But uh, if I'm thinking that if I get my OSCP if I get my OSCP certification, that probably might outshine my ex my you know like non-experience, as I can say. So there might be a cash to situation here where you know like I don't have any experience, but I have the certification. But that certification would really let the recruiter think that oh you know this this guy is overqualified for this job. So. Are there any views on that from you? Yeah, um, so I mean, outside of hiring managers, real pen testers would look at OSCP as like an entry level pen testing cert. Hiring managers would be looking for, predominantly they look for CEH. Um, but yeah, it's fine to get OSCP if, if you wanna go for that, totally fine. Um, you know, again, all that stuff, I, I, never, I tell people never to take debt to get something like that, because mm -hmm. uh, there's other ways to do it, but, but yeah. If, if it's in your budget, if you can financially do it, there's, I have no qualms with you taking OSCP. I think that's a great thing to get on your resume. Um, I still think the biggest important thing is going to be you branding yourself. Okay. Right? Showing so, that you can do stuff. I think that that's going to open up more doors than just having OSCP. There's actually a lot of people that I've seen getting OSCP and they're like, I still can't get a job. I have 27 certs. That's oh, okay. why, right? You, you have to show, you know, kind of, kind of going back to what Steven said about, you know, the, the, the numbers and everything, but you, you have to utilize or leverage uh, social media to show mm -hmm. other people like, yeah, I can actually do this. And when you do it that way, because again, everybody, everybody else is going and applying for jobs and all that traditional way yeah. and getting frustrated. And when you mm -hmm. do it the other way, the opposite way, and you actually leverage the power of social media and show that you can do things, that's where you find those jobs that nobody ever knew about mm -hmm. that you really enjoy doing, right? Those are, the, those are the jobs at the good companies that you've never heard of. Um, so that's, that's my recommendation. So yeah, OECP, if it's in your budget, cool to do. If you would have to take a loan or get yourself in a financial situation to do it, definitely don't do that in my opinion. Don't, it's not worth it. Um, you, can, you can effectively brand yourself and get those types of roles without it. Yeah, because to be honest, I just graduated and I don't have a job right now. So, you know, and OSCP, you know, is, it's, it's, it's a kind of expensive uh, certification. Yeah. So that's why, that was, what was my main question was. Yeah, brand, brand yourself then, right? So you, you just graduated, you don't have that, you know, the full-time job yet. Just mm -hmm. commit to going hardcore on branding yourself, right? So commit to doing at least one video showing yourself doing stuff each week. I would commit to doing every other day at a minimum post on, on uh, LinkedIn and just talking about the things that you know already, right? Like, Hey, I just did this hack, hack the box. Here's my, my short, you know, tips on what you should be doing for this box. Right. Okay. So, you know, again, certain things you can't give away, like you can't show people walk through on it until the box is retiring, but you can do things like that to show that I have the skills. I'm passionate about this. This is my area. And it's, it might take some time, but eventually you'll attract the right people and those people will be watching you. And a lot of times people watch you and they never like or comment on your post, but mm -hmm. they're watching you. And if you're consistent with it, all of a sudden they reach out like, hey, I've got, we just opened up this new junior pen testing role. Are you interested in it? I don't know what you're doing right now. And all of a sudden you have a job, right? So True. brand yourself. That, that would be my focus right now. I wouldn't, you know, like you said, you just graduated. You don't have the job yet. Focus on branding yourself and do that via LinkedIn. Um, and um, I will... Also, uh, wrote, send me a message so I remember. I, I know I'm going to forget as soon as we end the call uh, to reach sure. out to you. So send me a message just saying, hey, just a reminder. Um, and I'm going to connect you with some um, pen testers. I'll tell you to reach out and connect to a few people just mm -hmm. so, they can, so, you can, so you can start having conversations with them. Because, again, you never know if that conversation might lead to a job. So that's my, my thoughts okay. on that. Thank you so much for this, Ken. Absolutely. Um, a couple, there, there was a couple of questions that someone had um, uh, sent me. Uh, via message. And so I just want to address those before we wrap up the call as well. So one, mm -hmm. one question was, will automation and AI take cybersecurity jobs? My view on that is no. Uh, there will be some, some components of jobs that might be, you know, automated, of course, but I think that just leads to more jobs. Uh, let's, let's take a step back here and just focus on how technology has evolved over the years, right? we didn't see that jobs as a whole went away. It's just certain jobs did, right? Because we automated tasks or we had a robot do a certain thing. And so that's all that, that I would see with that type of stuff is 
we're just going to have more specialized jobs open up. Yeah, there'll be some jobs that maybe go away, but the reality is you can't replace a human and their analytical skills with a computer, even with the best AI. You, it's just an algorithm, right? At the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't like, like my adaptability that I have to different situations that I've gone through life, et cetera, you can't program that, program that in an AI software, right? So there's always going to be jobs out there. It's just a matter of you may have to get uh, like, like cloud, right? Cloud wasn't around way back in the day. And so now you learn cloud, you can, for the most part, write your own ticket right now, right? You can write your own meal ticket. So, but back in the day, that wasn't even a thing, right? So things evolve, but just understand there's always a human there someplace, right? So you may have to learn some new skills in the future, but uh, it's not going to necessarily like put you out of a job. You know, there's been some debate around that around like IT help desk types of roles. But again, I think you're going to see a consumer base that's going to be like, I hate, I hate your company. I'm not doing business with you because you have a robot talking to me versus, you know, we all love Alexa, right? But, but versus, you know, a human uh, answering our questions. Um, the other question there was, um, I want to do a master's in cybersecurity. Uh, I think it was around like which country should I do it in and then also be able to live there. Um, I, I, I don't recall where this person was. So I'm just going to speak on a general standpoint. So in the U.S., it's, you can try for a visa, but understand we have Trump in office right now, and we're not going to dive into politics here or opinions, but, <laughs> but just understand that right now it's challenging for people to get a visa, especially people coming um, uh, from different companies like uh, our countries. Uh, in particular, there's some people I know that are um, starting their master's either, I think, this fall or early next year, and they're doing it in Canada because it's easier to get a, a student visa there. So I, my recommendation based off that feedback I've gotten is maybe look at places like Canada and stuff. Uh, it doesn't mean you shouldn't try the U.S. We just understand that with our current political situation, unless that changes, you know, in a few months here, it may be extremely challenging to get a visa here in the U.S. And it might be easier to go elsewhere for that master. So for the person that had that question out there, that's kind of my thought on that. I don't know, Stephen, if you have any insight at all on that type of stuff. Um, my, my argument would always be the same, you know, go, go to the school that's going to get you the best education. That doesn't mean in terms of branding of that school itself. Um, I, you know, I'm not affiliated with, uh, uh, with, with any school or any, uh, any kind of higher education, but, uh, that would always be my go-to. I, I hear really good things, uh, about the university of, uh, of Maryland when it comes to cybersecurity. So whatever it takes to get the, uh, the credentials and experience you feel is best for you in your career, rather than where that's particularly located would be my, uh, my, my answer. Absolutely. Um, any, uh, any other questions from you guys before we uh, wrap this one up? And again, if there's more questions you think of later, feel free to post them in the group, uh, as well as we can do more of these, right? I'm sure uh, Stephen doesn't mind giving up uh, some time in his day, uh, reading like resumes to, to, to take a little break here. Um, but uh, any other questions from anyone on the call right now? I actually had a question, so I don't know what group you're talking about. Oh, uh, so yeah, Sonny, when you sent me that message, uh, we basically have, it's called a career advice for, I think I called it career advice for cybersecurity job seekers. There's like 300 and something people in there. Um, and okay. so we, we just wanted to, there's a lot of groups on LinkedIn. A lot of them are full of spammers that post their, hey, buy my thing, or hey, I've got this great Bitcoin thing. Uh, yeah. What's the other one? Um, Forex trading or something. Anyways, I did also. Yeah, we've all seen those things. So I wanted like kind of a safe place for people that mm -hmm. that are trying to get jobs in the industry or that are either in or even in this industry trying to find new jobs. I want a mm -hmm. safe place for everyone just to kind of share their knowledge versus making it a spammy recruiter. And, and that's why you guys heard Stephen earlier asking if it was okay to post you know that link in the group. Because um, we're just trying to reduce that. We do post helpful links in there to things, but we're trying to keep it from anyone trying to sell you something. This is really a safe haven. So, uh, mm -hmm. Sonny, be sure to send me a message if you're not in that group, and that way I can um, send you an invite for it. Sure, I'll send you a message. Cool. And that goes for anyone else that's listening to this. Well, I'm going to post it in the group, so I guess that doesn't, <laughs> people, people in the group will hear it. Um, I, uh, Stephen, are you cool with me? I may post this also just on LinkedIn in general to try to, Absolutely, 100, value, just, 100%, whatever you need to do. Um, and I'm probably going to actually post it in a few courses I have across different platforms just so, you know, again, we, Stephen and I's goal was really trying to help people out. I mean, you know, we, we've all been in situations where someone's helped us in the past, and so we try to give back where we can without trying to sell you some 
course or, or whatever a lot of these people try to sell you or our forex trading course or whatever um so uh, quick digression before we wrap up i just want to give some kind of um i won't give financial advice because I, I don't think i can legally do that without being an advisor but what i will say is that i know uh, an individual that spent many years on wall street here in the u.s very very financially sound individual knows a whole lot of stuff knows a lot of very wealthy people um and the ones that have done forex like trading or whatever um they haven't made a lot of money long term right so i'm just going to put that out there if you guys see things coming around like that like forex or bitcoin whatever just my my thought process here is just do your due diligence i know we're kind of getting way off track here but always vet any type of deal um coming your way so that that's my uh i guess dad advice for lack of better words on, on that stuff uh but but just always vet everything and that kind of goes also um well, let's tie it back into what we're talking about uh, that also goes for job postings like if it doesn't seem right it's probably not a real job posting there's a lot of spam ones out there and then also if you notice certain things about a company like let's say that they take forever to get back to you or when you go there for an interview or you're on the zoom call for an interview they seem very hurried and rushed that's probably a good indication that that company overworks his people and it may not be a good fit for you. So that's kind of my, my thought process on that. I guess, Stephen, I'll ask your opinion before we wrap up here. I think that's very, very valid. At the end of the day, you follow your gut instincts. Um, I try to pride myself on only putting people forward for opportunities. I know it's a dream step. If it's not, there's no point in them being there. I love it. And by the way, if you need recruiting help, reach out to Steven. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah, th thanks uh, uh, guys and gals for joining us. 